folks. It's time to dust off your eyeballs. It's time for another always be watching. Look, here's the thing. People have thought there's too much TV for one person to watch, but we did the math. We realized we could do it with two. So each week, myself and Chris Yates, we sit down to talk about all the TV, not just some of the TV. We will discuss all the TV. And if there's any other TV shows, quite frankly, we've not heard of them. My name is Dan Barrett, joined by the aforementioned Chris Yates. Chris Yates, how are you doing? I'm good, Dan. It's very good to be here with you again. I can't wait to talk about all of the TV. Look, here's the thing. I am prepared to talk about all the TV and we've got a lot of TV to talk to. So we won't dilly dally this week. We will dive right into it in just a moment. But Chris Yates, before we do, let's explain the podcast. You and I, we've known each other for going on 45 years at this point. Yeah. Approximately. At Nam. Back in Nam, we were in a we were in a foxhole. Did they have foxholes in Nam? <laughs> what would what what show would we have been talking about in, um, in the Nam days? Well, we were probably talking about uh, when Vietnam started. Like, uh, Rowan and Martin's laughing. <laughs> was that a show that was around at the time? I remember talking to you about that laughing show, and we were we discussed its merits. Yeah. in that foxhole, we bonded over Goldie Horn. Yes. Yeah, who got a start in Rowan and Martin's laughing? I'm, I'm, I'm sure she did. Mm. Chris, <laughs> this podcast is off to a stellar note already. And frankly, could it get better than this? I don't know. Let's find out. We have got a whole bunch of TV to talk about. My, the feature conversation I really want to dive into is the new Netflix drama called The Eddie. But Chris, what else are we talking about? Because we have a sundry list, long and sundry. It's like a John Holmesian list. <laughs> well, yeah, we uh, we did discuss a whole bunch of ideas. Um, I wanted to talk about the new Jerry Seinfeld Netflix comedy special. And I also wanted to talk about... Which is called 23 Hours to Kill. 23 Hours to Kill. And then um, I wanted to talk about the FX show. Is it FX? Dave. Correct. FXX? Yeah, it's FX on One Hulu. Of those FX on Hulu. Uh, show Dave. And there was another thing we were going to talk about. We were also going to talk about the new anime series that's cropped up on Netflix, which is a throwback to an anime series from of you know of old, uh, more like a feature thing. Uh, Ghost in the Machine. Uh, sorry, Ghost in the Shell. Not Ghost in the Machine. Ghost in the Shell. Ghost yes. in the Shell. A lot of ghosts out there getting into stuff. Yeah. Um, so how, how are we going to do this? Uh, it, it feels a, a bit um, haphazard. Okay. Well, how about who's we, going first? How about I just start with the Eddie? Because I've seen okay. all of these things that we're talking about. Excellent. All right, go for it. I've had a not very busy week. <laughs> Chris Yates, I want to talk to you about the Netflix drama, The Eddie. Hey, 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 don't do that. So, Chris, have you seen The Eddie yet? Are you across this program? Oh, I'm not sorry, Dan. Um, I've seen people speak highly of it. Well, you've probably seen me speak highly of it. I'm not sure about people. But no, well, you're about the only people I know these <laughs> days. Let's, you're like the one of three conversations I have all week now is our podcast. Uh, so I have no, uh, but I did have somebody else tell me that they enjoyed it also. Yeah. So look, here's the thing. I'm going to talk about this in glowing terms. And I completely understand that this show is not for everyone. So this show happens to tick every box that I'm looking for on television. So this is a new eight-part limited series. So first of all, limited series, there's not going to be more than eight episodes. Tick, Perfect. massive tick. Tick, yeah. massive tick. Stars Andre Holland. Uh, I was a huge fan of him from the Steven Soderbergh TV show, The Nick, which is a fantastic show that everyone should have watched by now. Chris, I'm sure you haven't seen it. I have watched a few episodes oh, really? of The Nick. And, and you enjoy yeah. it? I did enjoy. Uh, it was a bit gruesome <laughs> oh, it, for my for my for my tender sensibilities, but I could tell it it was very good. And that was a show about medicine, like at the turn of the twentieth century. Yeah, oh yeah, he's great. I've just looked up Andre Holland. Yes, yeah. Uh, people who probably know him really well from a turn in the movie Moonlight, which I believe won an Academy Award. So all the other things that I'm looking for in TV is more or less covered in covered by this. So. It's an American production, so it's largely English language, but then they break into French every so often. Okay. And quite That's frankly, nice. Gives you a bit of an international feel. Exactly. And look, here's the other thing. Set in Paris. Like, that's a big tick. Yep. I like Paris. Who doesn't like Paris? It's not the fancy end of Paris. Rather, it's the grimy end of Paris. And so the show deals with like all the like, you know, 
the scum, the drug dealers, the people that are shaking down a club trying to get some money off them. Uh, it's, you know, it's the no good nicks. The interesting people. The interesting people. So what you've got is a series. It's incredibly, it's a dark show. It's really sort of gritty. This is set in a jazz club, which is not making a whole lot of money. It's a jazz club that has a fair bit of artistic uh, merit to it. So the Andre Holland character we understand is a jazz great who's left the US for whatever reasons and is now in Paris launching this fairly terrible sort of divey club. He cares probably too much about the quality of the bands that are playing in there, particularly the house Mm -hmm. band. He's got a relationship with the singer from that band, which hasn't gone so well. He's got his daughter who's visiting over from the US. His business partner looks after the day-to-day business of it all so he can focus on the artistic elements of this jazz club. And it seems that the uh, business partner is involved in some of the shadier elements around the neighborhood that they're located in. Anyway, in the first episode, stuff goes down. And so what you're watching week in, week out, and week in, week out, that's a Netflix show. So, you know, first day of launch if you watch it all. Uh, what you're watching is a show which is a uh, dark, divey show that's gorgeously shot that also at least two to three times every episode just puts down all of, the pen- all of its pencils for a moment and it has a great sort of jazz number. So it's not like it's, uh, you know, Busby Berkeley that just come out and they're doing like a jazz number, but really because it's set yeah. in a jazz club and you've got musicians around, you just see these amazing jazz performances taking place as part of the natural narrative of the story. So that's another you thing. You get whole songs? Whole songs. Like an entire wow, performance. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. And like this is like a good sort of, you know, good jazz tracks. Anyway, so I just ticked all these boxes. France, Andre Holland, limited series, looks gorgeous. The drama of it is not the most compelling drama, but it's also just very watchable. So like I was watching, and look, I've watched a couple of episodes of this now, and I very purposefully didn't start watching it before 11 o'clock at night. So I was watching it late at night, and that's the perfect time when like the house is really quiet. You just let your you know, your mind, your heart, your soul be taken over by this show, which is trying to trigger like very sort of late night feelings from you. Anyway, really cool show. If I watched it 11 in the morning, not trying to enjoy it as much as I did, but it's just a (laughs) great late night show to, you know, wind down with every couple of days. Because you're not spending a lot of time frequenting the, um, jazz clubs in the CD end of Sydney as you normally would do oh, um, pre-lockout. <laughs> that must, that's probably filling some kind of void for you there as well. Actually, that's a really good point that I hadn't really considered that much. And yeah, like there's definitely an element to the idea of feeling that I'm like in a gin-soaked Yeah, know, bar remember we could go places yeah. and took it for granted at home all the time. <laughs> oh man, I'm, we miss it. I'm so sick of eating with my own cutlery. <laughs> it's awful. Um, I wasn't interested in this show at all, uh, based on the name of it, which just sounded dumb. Uh, having heard your um, review, I'm very keen. It sounds great. It sounds right up my alley. The article you shared that I remember reading was comparing it to Treme. Yeah. The um, the HBO series, which I, you know, I don't, I sort of drifted out of Treme towards the end of it, but I got, I really enjoyed it at the start. So I've only watched like four um, or five episodes of Treme and I keep on trying to watch it. And I just don't think I've ever quite been in the right mood to watch it. But I think post Eddie, like this is actually probably like a good yeah, sort of yeah, gateway it might into try you up for it. Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. Um, but yeah, and, if you think about so, Tremay and the way that it's shot, where it's like this sort of very sort of earthy, sort of down to earth, sort of grimy uh, vibe to it all, the Eddie is pretty much just picking up the cue from that entirely. So it looks and feels so much like Tremé. Like there's an obvious reason yeah, why well. some of the critics are talking about Tremé as part of this because. Sure, it's yeah. not in uh, New Orleans, but it definitely has a lot of the same sort of characters and vibes and, yeah, just general sort of attitudes around it. Is it set in the modern day? Modern day, which I didn't actually realize yeah. until like a few weeks before launch because I heard there was a jazz um, series coming to Netflix and I just thought, oh, it's set in France. It's going to be like in 1945 or something. But no, yeah, like it's yeah. actually, you know, modern day era. Yeah, it, it takes everything that you actually kind of want from a show like this. It does. Yeah. Well, that's great. Uh, probably also worth noting that the first, I'm going to say maybe two episodes, are directed by Damien Chazelle, who's the guy that made, uh, pr- he's probably best known these days for La La Land, but before then he oh, made yeah, that movie right. Spotlight, which is that cool drumming film with uh, J.K. Mm-hmm. Simmons and Miles Teller. Excellent. I haven't seen that. Is that good, is it? Um, yeah. So it's like this really sort of, I'd call it almost like a tense musical thriller. Like that's a film that's about an abusive relationship between a, a drumming great who's now like 
you know, t- he's now a teacher, but he's not a particularly good teacher. And there's like a student who exhibits a huge amount of talent, but isn't really quite achieving his potential. And it's about the tension that builds up between them and the anger and the fact that J.K. Simmons' character is just like this terrible person. But anyway, it's right up your alley. You'd love it. Hmm. He also wrote 10 Cloverfield Lane. Damien Chazelle. Did you know that? Yep. That I was not aware of. (laughs) There you go. Wikipedia will give you all these kind of great answers to things. Um, we'll give you you answers whether that great answers or not (laughs) who really knows Um, that's right Uh, that's excellent I'm definitely going to check that out Dan thanks for putting that on my radar sorry can can I backtrack just then I called the movie Spotlight it's not called Spotlight it's called Whiplash Whiplash yeah but the poster has a spotlight on it so you can understand Uh, that confusion (laughs) Spotlight is of course the movie about um, you know sexual abuse of children in the Catholic Church also a very good movie but a different film Right. Do you Sorry. want to um? Do you want to edit that in there a bit? Is it? Will that be enough for you to cut it in? Who needs to edit? It's free, it's like jazz, man. It's all free flowing. Right, cool. Yeah. Cool, the, cool. the the facts in always be watching are about the facts that you can't hear. I have been watching, or I tried to watch, or I watched some of the new Jerry Seinfeld uh, Netflix special, which is called Twenty Three Hours to Kill. And so we come up with things like this, what we're doing right now. This is a made-up, bogus, hyped-up, not-necessary special event. (laughs) That's what this is. That a lot of people work very hard to put together so that we could all just kill some time. (laughs) That's why I'm here. I had nothing to do either, by the way. I can tell you that. You know me. You and I, come on, you and I know each other on a certain level, electronic though it may be, for many, many years. At this point, we're going through life together, a beautiful thing. You know what I've done. You know what I've made. You know how I live. You know for a fact. I could be anywhere in the world right now. (laughs) Now you be honest. If you were me, would you be up here hacking out another one of these? Maybe. I had an hour to kill. I thought I'd put on this Jerry Seinfeld thing. You know, I've got a, I've got a long, complex relationship with Jerry Seinfeld. Um, of course, I uh, watched the television show many, many times, still watch it. I uh, have developed some kind of Stockholm Syndrome kind of relationship with Jerry Seinfeld out of that, where I feel compelled to watch everything he's done. And in fairness, there was a big 20-year period where he didn't really do anything. So it's only been the last sort of few years he's been popping up doing stuff again. Uh, so it was kind of a long enough time to miss him. But I think, frankly, at this point, it's pretty safe to say uh, you, we don't miss you anymore, Jerry. It's okay. You could just chill out and go home and take a break for a while. I, I started writing notes on this thing and I was just like so compelled to pull it apart sort of and, and really get dig deep into my uh, why I wasn't enjoying it. But in the end, uh, I just gave up in frustration and sort of, didn't even make it to the end. Have you watched it, Dan? I, I want to get into what it was you didn't like about it in just a moment, but I want to talk about my own relationship with Jerry Seinfeld, which is that uh, the first time I ever saw Seinfeld was when the show was airing on Channel 9 in Australia, which was a very short-lived, like, I think they played like five or six episodes. And I came across this show because it was airing after Cheers. And I, oh, so I saw it for the same reason, Dan. <laughs> and so like I saw this episode where there's these guys walking around in a car park and can't find their car. And I was like, what is this show? This is awful. I don't like it. And then the next week I watched it again and I kind of just quietly liked it, but I didn't want to admit it to myself. But by the end of it, I'm like, I'm really liking this show. And then it was gone, gone from our lives. Appeared on Channel 10 like a year or so later. And I'm like, it's that show. And, you know, it's been part of my life ever since then. And I am a, you know, unashamed fan of Seinfeld. I think the show still mostly holds up pretty well. Totally. For a sitcom now that's, you know, getting into like its 30th year, like that's a, you know, that, that's not to be sort of taken lightly. Like it still holds up pretty well. Yes. It's proven that the sort of style of storytelling that they approached and used was, has, has proven to be timeless, I think. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah. So like I've watched a lot of comedians in cars getting coffee. I've seen comedy mm-hmm. specials. I got the chance to see Jerry Seinfeld performing when he was in Sydney in 2017, 18. 
2017. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll say 17. Uh, got to see that. And like seeing him live, that was an amazing experience. It was everything I was really looking for. And so when I sat down to watch this, I had some really sort of built up expectations, which is that I don't think I've ever actually watched him do stand-up comedy as a special on television before. I've seen him do clips, like I've seen him on The Tonight Show a few times. Oh, you didn't watch, did you watch the I'm Telling You for the Last Time? That was the last one I can remember. So I've heard that as a comedy album, but I don't think I've ever watched the special. Oh, right. But going into this, uh, first of all, Jerry Seinfeld did the PR tour beforehand. And he was really talking about the fact that this is probably the last time he's actually going to do a recorded special like this. He was talking about how he's not going to do comedians and cars getting coffee anymore. Probably he might come back to it, but that's unlikely. And he's pretty much saying that, you know, as of this special, I'm now in a post-showbiz career. So I came to this special with a lot of built-up expectation. And I thought, well, this is the real last time we're going to see new Seinfeld stuff on our TV screens. And I have to say, I turned it off about 25 minutes in because I just wasn't enjoying it. And here's the thing. A lot of the material that he's doing in this special is what I saw him do live on stage. And he killed in that room. It was a fantastic like hour and a bit of stand-up comedy. Like he nailed it. Like I was watching him in the audience thinking this is exactly the professional comedian that I've heard so much about. Like this is really the guy who's at the top of his game. He knows how to like milk every line, every bit of uh, moment of dialogue. He had the tone right. He had just every aspect of delivery is completely on point. It felt like he'd done that material God knows how many times before, but also felt fresh because he knows what he's doing up on stage. And I thought you'd bring that to the TV special and there was something like right there. He seemed like he was just really angry with every line delivery. He seemed angry. Yeah. And he, it, it, he came out really, really angry. He seemed like he didn't want to be there at all. He, it, and then like there was the statements at the, at the beginning where he was like sort of, you know, trying to like reward himself just by doing it. Like he was chastising the crowd at one minute, at the 10 minutes into it, like where he was basically doing his whole, if you were a rich guy like me, would you really be bothering <laughs> to get up here and do this? I don't think you would. I'm basically a saint for doing this kind of thing. And it was just like, Oh my God, you know, yeah. the whole, he's really played on that the last few years too, you know, like sort of like our lives are just the same, except I'm incredibly wealthy and I don't have to do any of the horrible things you do. But you know what? I, um, I saw him do that live. About that. I saw him do yeah, that live yeah, yeah. and it worked completely well in the room. I don't think it works on TV. I've laughed at him doing that kind of stuff before, but it just seems so nasty and like vicious. And he just, he, there was, there was no part of, at no point in the, in the sort of half an hour of it that I managed to get through. And I sort of even skipped to the end to see if there was going to be a, I skipped to the end to see if there would be like something, uh, you know, another produced bit at the end because the bit at the beginning was so pathetic. I just had to kind of see if there was another where he weirdly did the, you know, Jeff from Survivor thing where he jumped out of the helicopter into the river and. Yeah. I was doing this big James um, Bond thing and like, I just didn't understand why that was happening or really what it was adding. There was no reason for that to happen at all. But then, um, but yeah, I just couldn't like, I was, I was actually like, the, the first few minutes of it, I was like, I'm actually hating this. Like it's actually, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's really making me angry because of his anger levels, I think. Yeah. And then I just got, and then after 15 minutes, I wasn't hating it anymore, but I was just bored beyond belief and I couldn't even for a second go further with it. Um, I thought it might've just been how, you know, at first I, as well, I sort of thought, oh, maybe this is just, I am actually over him, but there's something really weird about the performance, right? Yeah, no, it's a bad special. And so when I was watching it, like it's bad for a couple of reasons. First of all, I suspect that Jerry Seinfeld just doesn't care. He got paid a huge amount of money by Netflix with the idea of, oh, you know, record a special. I think he had two specials all up. There was that first one, which was something about how he dug up the old tapes of him performing. And, you know, he's looking back on that. And it's like, fine, I didn't actually end up watching it. I meant to and it just kind of got past me. Yeah, I watched that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure it was fine, but... There was that. And then also he tied in the comedians and cars getting coffee deal with the um, show was uh, with his deal at Netflix as well. So he got paid like a large stack of cash for that program. So they got like a season like exclusive for Netflix, but also the entire back catalog of that show as well. And then also he had to do the special and with the conclusion of the special, his deal with Netflix is done. But I would have thought that, you know, he's a comedian who has uh, so carefully like managed his career and to go out on a special, which is not the best, like, uh, like recording of his work. Like, it's just, it, it doesn't embody the Seinfeld, you know, act at all from what I saw on stage a couple of years ago, which was so much of the same material. Like, his delivery is just off in this special. 
or maybe it just wasn't filmed right or there's just something that's not quite right about <laughs> yeah, it. It's really hard to. Like, I don't know how he didn't sit down and look at it saying, look, I don't want to do this one. Let's do a different night. Let's record a different special. Like, he doesn't yeah. need to put this out. Like surely he's got enough money and Netflix has enough money for them to say, hey, look, you know, we don't think this evening was the best one we could put out, you know, with the Jerry Seinfeld name attached. Let's just do it again. Like how much could yeah. it cost to do a stand-up comedy special? Like, you know, a hundred grand at most. Yeah, nothing. Because it's all yeah. like people pay for people pay to make it because they all pay to come to the show, right? Yeah. And so um, I, I was thinking, Mike, is it just like a badly shot special? And the other thought I had is, has our expectation of high budget comedy specials like this been influenced heavily by some of the more recent uh, stand-up specials? So you think about like if it's a comedian who this is their first special, you expect a show like that to look kind of just like a traditional stand-up special where, you know, they're just walking backwards and forwards on the stage, delivering lines and, you know, everyone's yucking it up. Yeah. But you think about some of the like big name comedians from the last couple of years and what they've been doing with the specials and how they've actually really, I wouldn't necessarily say innovated the form, but they've definitely brought a sense of uh, visual um, craft and just livened up the experience of watching a stand-up special. So I'm thinking about things like, there was that Ray Romano special where he ends mm-hmm. up doing it in two different clubs of different um, size and walks around the block. And so you've got like a clean show and then like a dirty show that he does afterwards, all part of the same special. And he blocks it out by talking about his career and what led him to doing it in this bar and club and what the other club meant to him as well. And so he actually kind of crafts this narrative around performing these two different sets. It was interesting. Uh, Mark Maron had his uh, stand-up special that came out oh, yeah, like a yeah. month and a half ago. I'm not sure if you saw that, but he did a very Mark Maron thing where he's just kind of sitting in a black box theater with like an audience surrounding him while he's sitting on a stool, just, you know, doing Mark Maron shtick. And it was really great. Like it just looked really intimate and it was this great sort of visual polish to it all. You think about Aziz Ansari when he came out doing his special, which I mean, Aziz had huge baggage like surrounding him as a performer. Yeah. yeah and he came yeah. out with a special, which was really intimately shot. I can't remember who the director was. It was somebody really quite interesting but effectively they were on stage with him and like they're really moving around and it's shot like this sort of, um, you know, almost like a gonzo filming sort of style around it where the camera is just, it's not even just floating. Like it's literally on a handheld, just getting really close and tied up with him and pulling back and just doing like this amazing, like just visual I don't think work. I've seen that to be honest. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's really good. Like his material was like strong, but like the actual visual look of that special, just incredible. Mm. And you think about what these, big names have been doing recently. And then you've got Jerry Seinfeld with a traditional, you know, maybe a three or four camera setup, just he's going backwards and forwards across the stage. It just felt so old and tired. And he came across really angry. The whole thing just (laughs) collapsed. I feel like Jerry, it wouldn't matter if Jerry was just in front of the curtain though, if he was doing good material, like, and if he was doing it well, like that's the kind of, you know, that's, you know, if anyone doesn't need that pizzazz, surely it would be him. But um, at this point in the career, I think, yeah. I think it was, it was just really, yeah. If anything, it's really sad to think that that is going to be the last thing. And especially when, you know, there there has been diminishing returns over the last couple of things, but everything, you know, even those other things we were talking about all had very funny moments. Like there was heaps of funny moments and comedians in cars and there was some good insight into um, the weirdo that he's become now. And, you know, we have had some good stuff in the last few years. It hasn't all been terrible, but this was just like a massive fall off a cliff, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just, which is a shame. Yeah, I just think bad special. Also, I mean, I'd question why he's doing it in front of such a large audience, which I appreciate. That's the sort of audience that he plays in front of generally now. But why not shoot your last thing actually in a comedy club, considering that so much of your career has been about playing those sorts yeah, of rooms? Yeah, yeah. Like, why not do your last special in front of a red curtain, a la what we saw him doing on the popular TV show Seinfeld for so long? <laughs> yes. Why not just end it out that way, where you've got a small, intimate room and you can actually, you know, just play off that energy? Whereas, because you're playing yeah. into like a very large room. So like, unless that, like the energy from that audience is being captured as part of the special, which I feel that it was not here. I'm no. like, what is the point of like playing such a large room? And that might've added to his sort of like, you know, uh, the, the, the appearance of him being angry and the, you know, the very yelling and the kind of like, I don't know if you're in a room that big, maybe you feel like you've got to talk a bit louder or something. Yeah. And maybe if the special had better caught the energy in the room and reflected that on screen, like maybe that anger actually works in terms of the actual context of the environment is playing in. I didn't feel that though. 
You know, it was really funny. Um, while I was watching it, my phone my phone dinged. I was probably about 25 minutes in and I got the news. Um, well, actually, no, I'd just received the news earlier of Jerry Stiller's passing. Of course, um, Jerry Stiller, who played Frank Costanza in Seinfeld. Mm. And uh, as a flurry of posts appeared in my social media feed, of course, of various um, clips. And there was a clip of Frank um, and Elaine at the party with "You Want a Piece of Me," and it's in the yeah. credit. I think it's it's outtakes, but I think it's actually in the credits of one of the episodes it, it's in, of that episode. I think it's in the episode uh, before they did the like the 100th episode. They had like a clip show, right? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I think right. It's in that. And it was in the ends of that one, where yeah, and you know he's doing "You Want a Piece," "You Want a Piece of Me," and Elaine is losing it. And um, I can't think of his name. Jason Alexander was falling around on the floor, and and like this popped up for thirty seconds while I was watching, while I was stone cold dead face watching this Seinfeld thing. You actually had some laughter back in your life, and that's when I went like, "Oh yeah, I'm not watching this thing anymore." Like this is the exact comparison I needed to sort of be like, "Oh yeah, this was very funny," and that wasn't. R.A.P. to Veil vale to Jerry Stiller. Very sad news. Like it was very sad news, but also I realized that the only thing I've really like had like seen him in properly was Seinfeld. Yeah. Like he's been in like a whole bunch of things over the years, including one or two episodes, of the love boat, which I'm sure we'll go back <laughs> well, and track down. Now. Knows dead, yes. <laughs> but like largely I didn't watch King of Queens. So like, you know, that's 150 episodes of TV that yeah. you know, he did that I never saw, but like the 20, what did we work out? It was like 26 or 20. Yeah. Yeah. 25. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. 25, 26 episodes. Like that's all I really know him from. And then like the occasional like pop-up thing in like Zoolander. (laughs) But that's an amazing, but yeah, that's a testament to the talent of this guy. Yeah. But something I've always been meaning to check out is like some of his stand-up comedy with his His wife wife and mirror. Yeah. Right. Cause they used to be part of a comedy duo. It was like Stiller and mirror. Uh, Anyway. Yeah. I, I did find I've got an album on Spotify. Oh really? Which. I was looking at it and I actually saw the image of the album cover before I found that it was on Spotify as well. But the album is called The Last Two People in the World. And I don't know if you can see the, actually just bring it up in your own yeah, phone. Yeah, yeah. Take a look at the front of like, the cover of this album. Like it's a hilarious looking album just from the cover. <laughs> um, you haven't listened to it yet? I'll have to give it a I haven't listened to it yet, it but spin. it's definitely, yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, I think, um, look, it's a shame that, um, it's a shame that Jerry has to go out like that. R.I.P. Jerry Seinfeld. R.I.P. Jerry Seinfeld. Um, yeah, that album cover is amazing. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's just, um, yes, yeah, very, very big shame, you know, a big, big part of the legacy. He won't care. No one will care that this is, this blemish will not be remembered um, in any way that nef- reflects badly on him, I think, with the legacy of that show still. <laughs> Here's, here's the weird thing with Jerry Seinfeld, though. So much of his career is about being a stand-up comedian. Like, he did the TV stuff. He's done, like, the cars and getting coffee. But, like, his heart, like, he thinks about his career as being a stand-up comic. And that's but his also, community and stuff, too. Like, you know, he always talks about yeah. the craft and the art and the, and the community of artists. And that's why, like, the comedians in Cars was about him feeling, wanting to feel connected to that world again and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, absolutely. And he's talking about the fact that, you know, he only really feels alive when he's on stage doing that, you know, all that kind of thing. But why is it that there's next to no Jerry Seinfeld comedy albums really out there? And the comedy specials are pretty much non-existent as well. Like there's the, I'm telling you for the last time, there's this. And then there was the weirdo special with him looking at his old material. Like he doesn't actually have a body of work that's going to live on beyond the man. No, the show is that. that's intentional. Yeah, isn't strange? Is that intentional? I'm not too sure, but it's weird. And he's a guy that believes heavily in comedy albums because he always talks about how his influences were listening to like the Bill Cosby comedy albums coming up and all that kind of thing. And, you know, why is he not leaving behind that kind of legacy for the next generation? Yeah. Very or the next strange. five generations that really followed after him. Yeah. Well, I, I think, um, yeah, that's a very interesting point. There's really no albums. Not really. No, I don't think so. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, a, like there's, it's, it's a recorded thing. material around, but it's not like a, from comedy albums. It was kind of like, he just got so big at the end of Seinfeld that it, there was, but that he had to sort of do nothing. And I guess that would have maybe been the window when he would have done that kind of thing. Like, you know, obviously you wouldn't, the TV schedule was grueling, I'm sure. And you know, you'd be work. It's a lot of work to get a show like that made mm. for 10 years in a row, nine years in a row. But then, yeah. So maybe he was just so burnt out after that period. And the, the maybe no, that straight up, 
straight afterwards though he was hitting the road and he was building his act up again yeah so was there's it really the, straight after the that? was that straight yeah so i'm telling you for the last time was i want to say it's like 99 2000 so it was right as the series had finished and what he does is he says look I've more or less been doing the same material for like the last 10 years because his comedy act had got a bit stagnant because he was busy making a TV show, which is fairly time intensive. Yeah. So he's like, I'm getting rid of all of my old material. I'm going to hit the road again and I'm going to build up like an entirely new body of material. And so that's what he was doing. Yeah, so yeah. I'm telling you for the last time is literally that. I'm telling you these jokes for the last time. And so then he started doing a whole bunch of clubs and trying to build that act up again. There's a documentary called Comedian, yes. which follows him on the road building that material up again. And it juxtaposes him and a comedian whose name usually comes to mind. I can't quite think of it right now. Yeah, I remember. I can't I think can't of his name. Uh, he's got a bit of an odd name. Uh, but anyway, like that guy comes across like a complete dick and Jerry Seinfeld comes across as a consummate professional. And I think that was just maybe the reality of, you know, filming these two guys. I don't think it was an ego sort of push for Seinfeld at all. Mm. But like, that's it. So like from the early 2000s, he was out there hitting the road again yeah. and building that act up. Like he was constantly performing. Weird. Yeah. It's like he was constantly thing. doing drop-ins at like the comedy store and I um, oh, saw the comedy cellar in New York. Yes. So anyway, mm. uh, let's, um, can I, can I figure out a way to segue from Seinfeld, 23 hours to kill available now on Netflix. You're going to, if you're interested, you're going to watch it. It doesn't matter what we say. You'll watch a little bit of it. You'll watch the whole thing. Maybe you'll love it. Uh, to another show that I watched this week, Dan, can I mix it what up? What did you watch? Cause I watched something that was very funny. Nobody recommended this show to me. I found it completely on my <laughs> own. Um, I watched the television show, Dave. There's so much lettuce on this. Oh, I told them no lettuce. Oh, he told me you made him try a grape for the first time. I did, but he did not like it. He reported it was too gushy. Who eats those things? Most people. Are you going to grade papers right now? Yeah. I've told you how much this fully turns me on, right? Yeah. I've expressed that. Wow. Yeah. You want me to teach you? Everything that you know. You want me to tell you when to nap on your cot? My dick wants to rip out of its skin and run laps around the playground. I don't know where to go with that. You can go into Dave's room where this shit belongs. I'm sorry. That's on me, coach. It's, it's easy. Yeah, but every now and then I just, I guess lose my grip on Dave, reality. don't. Really can't even be tamed, don't stopped. Do don't, I'm serious. Don't. Okay, you sealed your fate. I'm gonna finish Handmaid's Tale without you. Stop. Yep, I will. Girlfriend, what? Get away from me, freak. You gross me out. <laughs> That's better. Okay, Chris, Dave, what's this about? All right. So just to my joke there was, of course, that you did tell me to watch Dave a few weeks ago and I neglected to. Wednesday, 6th of May, 9.17pm. <laughs> I send completely a text message. ignored your message. Send a text message, dude, full stop, <laughs> watch the show Dave. And then I sent a YouTube clip of the trailer for it. And then I also mentioned, because you'd asked me a question and you couldn't think what the show was called. And I remembered what it was. So a few minutes later, I sent the word superstore to you. And you replied back saying, superstore, exclamation mark. And then the next day, you start talking to me about Kath and Kim. <laughs> yeah, well, there's a very good reason for that too. Anyway. Um, no, so, so before you go any further, Dave, is this maybe your favorite show of this year? It's a pretty good show. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, two, episodes, I'm two episodes down and um, we're looking at yet another show following on from uh, Midnight Gospel last week. Uh, yet another show that has been tailor-made for me. I'd like to thank all the um, all the TV execs out there in the TV land who have decided that I, a, uh, <laughs> I'm not going to describe myself in too unflattering detail, but the, the, the person I am is that who they should be making TV shows for. Um, I think they've acknowledged the Chris Yates demographic. <laughs> yes. Maybe, maybe there's more of me than I've, I realized. Where are all my people? Um, Here's the problem. For too many years, I've thought, hey, look, the way to sell ads is, you know, the car companies and people that can afford stuff. But, you know, the burnouts, we don't really need to challenge them too much. And yet here we are now in 2020. Finally, it's our time to shine. <laughs> the, the zero spenders. Um because we can afford a Netflix subscription, I guess. Um, the uh, yes. Yeah, so anyway, Dave is a great show. It is a con it is a very funny concept show. It is the story of the little of the American um, Jewish rapper Little Dicky, uh, or character name. I don't know what's well. I guess his character name is Little Dicky, and he. Um, 
who plays I, himself. I think you'll find his character's <laughs> name is Dave, who plays himself in the show. Um, apparently, like maybe Dave's not even his real name. Anyway, uh, Little Dicky <laughs> is a rapper who had a hit on YouTube uh, about the size of his uh, penis being small, and which is funny for you know a myriad of reasons, and um, it's relatable, and has gone on to be. Uh, <laughs> And has, uh, yes, then uh, had the dream after getting a million views on his YouTube video, he then set out to become a professional rapper in real life, launching the track professional or his album Professional Rapper. And so this show is a fictionalized version of him trying to get his rap career off the ground after having had a uh, massive YouTube hit. Did that sum it up, Dan? Yeah, so in a way, it's kind of like thinking about the show, kind of like Curb Your Enthusiasm a little bit. But if instead of a crotchety, successful old Jewish guy, it's a young, not really quite successful Jewish guy. <laughs> yes, that's pretty true. That's pretty fair. Yeah. Uh, it's very that's funny. A bit more stru- it's probably more structured than Curb Your Enthusiasm and less improv free form. But it's kind of a very similar vibe to it. It's got a similar flavor. I think the thing that got me over the line was I read just some terrible, you know, person chucking something out there that was like, if you like, you know, Always Sunny in Philadelphia and Workaholics and some other show, you'll like Dave. And I was like, hey, I like those three shows. They're my favorite shows of all time, except for King of the Hill. So um, <laughs> I had to, um, so yes, I had to check it out. And and it does, it definitely fits into that um, zone of uh, humor as well, where it's kind of, I don't know, it felt like those, those shows felt like a pretty good uh, summation of it. I think that, and a bunch of those shows pop up on that FXX network for whatever reason. Um, they're good at really picking those sort of, zero stakes comedy shows that just um, rely on the characters, but also, you know, really well written and um, episodic, but uh, maybe a longer story as well. Yeah. I mean, I would say with the show, it's not really quite zero stakes as well. So the thing with the character is that he's a struggling rap star and cause he's like a white Jewish guy. It's hard to really get the cred that other people <laughs> are after. And the subject matter of his rapping is probably not necessarily the most commercially viable either. Because uh, as you said, he was rapping about having a small penis. Yes. Yeah, not necessarily the braggadocious nature that you find with well, a lot of rap. Yeah, which is the point, I guess. Yeah. Of course. And so you've got that. But the actual stakes of it is like in the very first episode, he's dealing with the fact that there's a, a rapper that is willing to take, was it five grand? Ten. Ten Gs, man. Ten Gs. Uh, to, he, he was going to like record like a few lines, like a couple of lyrics. That so he was going to so. do a guest 16. I'll, I'll put you in on all the lingo, sorry, Dan. Sorry, it's been, it's been a few weeks since I've seen it. <laughs> yeah, so he's going to, um, yeah, he, he's trying to buy a verse. So that means that, you know, there'll be a little dicky track featuring the rapper YG, who's a very popular rapper in the world. And YG was in the episode as himself, which was excellent and very funny. And there were some other. And, and he was funny. Very funny, right? He was really, really yeah. good. And, um, uh, yeah, so there's, that's right. So he gets his uh, bar mitzvah money off his folks to pay the 10 grand, to pay the 10 Gs to YG's manager. Uh, and it, it doesn't feel, he doesn't feel like he's maybe, he feels, he, I think he has instant buyer's remorse <laughs> the second the money leaves his account. And um, he has to kind of figure out uh, whether he's been scammed or what's going to happen and stuff. So I guess ten thousand yeah. dollars isn't zero stakes. You're right. He's got some money on no, that's the line. It. Like it's some serious stakes to him. <laughs> yes, because not only does he like lose ten grand, but also he kind of has issues with like his relationship with his girlfriend because you know it's a large amount of money to be wasting. Yes, he's very yeah. under- he's very very understanding girlfriend. She's she's a very mm. funny character. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, Dave, I think really interesting show kind of a bit under the radar but it's very quickly getting steam as well like people are discovering the show really quite rapidly yeah i've noticed that too and i think that um it'll only because it because it, it was a few well it came out about a month ago right i think there's been or two uh, months must have been because it's 10 episodes have gone up weekly so yeah um, must be a couple of months ago. Uh, yeah, and it's, it's interesting that I didn't hear anything about it until the last sort of, couple of weeks where obviously people have gotten to the end of the season and starting to talk about it a bit more. The show, because it's airing on FX, uh, the cable channel in the US, and also available on Hulu by the FX on Hulu um, brand um, channel that they're running through Hulu, 
uh, because that's running, essentially they've been able to work out that Dave is the most watched like new comedy show that's ever aired on FX. Wow. Yeah. That's huge. How much of it is because their little Dicky had some fame? Because, uh, you know, I'd never heard his, I've never heard of little Dicky. Oh, maybe I even had at some point, but um, it was uh, like, yeah. Did he have enough of a, you know, did, did he have enough of a profile that people came People have come to the show to watch him. (laughs) That seems unlikely. It's the heck out of me. No idea. (laughs) But anyway, yeah, it's a really well-made show and it's very funny, so it's not surprising to see um, people starting to catch on and talk about it a bit more. I think it's a pretty easy sell to to sort of – it's got an easy uh, catch catch line, you know. It's got an easy tagline. Also, I'd say that when you – like the obvious comparisons are things like Workaholics and uh, It's Always Sunny (laughs) – but I'd say this is probably a more watchable, more accessible program than either of those two. Yeah, me too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's not quite as coarse. I mean, the language and subject matter is quite coarse at times, but like just generally the vibe of it isn't really particularly coarse. Like he's a very likable, charismatic guy. Yeah. You know, it's it's super watchable. It's the Eddie of TV comedy right now. And he says that there's um in his, you know, he says he's inspired by Childish Gambino and um uh, there's a very much, I, I, I did also, it reminded me a bit of Atlanta, you know, just that kind of um, the, the humor around the rapper trying to come up as well as I do in, in Atlanta in that first season with Paperboy sort of starting to get noticed and stuff. That was, I, I, I think he hit the, whereas Atlanta's a lot more serious, obviously, and has that sort of um, uh, a bit more of a. Uh, it's got a prestigious sheen. And it's also a bit bleak, you know, there's, there's a certain amount of bleakness around. Donald Glover's character in Atlanta that there's, there's nothing, even, even when things were going bad for little Dickie, it's still kind of like, it still feels like everything's going to be okay. Big mm. fan, big fan of Dave on Netflix, on FX via Hulu or whatever the hell you said, whatever those words were that don't mean anything. It's on Hulu. <laughs> and I know you wanted to talk about uh, the, um, another show. Yeah. I just want to really briefly talk about Ghost in the Shell. Don't delude yourselves. So-called sustainable war is just a big game of political chicken. Except pretty much everyone loses. Namely the politicians not savvy enough to negotiate, and amateurs like you completely out of your element. Major, I don't see the problem. If they want to die, I'm happy to help. Personally, I'd love it if things got to where I could make a living playing war like this all over the world. I'm sure the military won't appreciate us stealing their jobs just yet. Go home and don't let us catch you here again. And if you don't have a home to go back to, be thankful you still have your lives. Chris, have you got any pre-existing like knowledge of Ghost in the Shell? You know, I think I do remember it from my, I remember watching something from my sort of share house days uh, under a cloud of smoke in the lounge room, but I don't really (laughs) um, recall it closely enough to uh, have any perspective. But I did watch a few episodes of this the other night after you said you were going to watch it. Yeah. So the film Ghost in the Shell, and obviously it's based off like a um, manga comic book series and became like a series of anime, um, like feature films. So the original film was kind of one of these things a bit like Akira, where it had like that mainstream sort of crossover yeah. where, you know, people are getting stoned on the couch watching Ghost in the Shell. I remember when like, it came out and stuff. Yeah. Like I actually remember it yeah. being a new thing that people were talking about and watching it at that point, but not like getting too swept up in it, you know? No, absolutely. I don't think I ever saw it. And like the only thing I've ever seen previously was uh, like the feature film with Scarlett Johansson. Yes. Because I'll watch anything with Scarlett Johansson. Yes. Particularly when she's appropriating whatever culture she wants to appropriate. <laughs> and I'm there for it. I'm absolutely down for it. Excellent. And I think, I think with Ghost in the Shell, because she is playing a robot, I think it doesn't really matter exactly what ethnicity uh, she is. No one she's not exactly adhering to any sort of cultural uh, background. Uh, look, because she's you, a robot. You can make your point. Nobody cares. Mm. Uh, anyway, yes. <laughs> but so I had no real connection with Ghost in the Shell. And so when I saw there was a new anime called Ghost in the Shell Sack 2045, I thought, <laughs> okay, let's, let's see what this is about. I'm really into this program. I've only seen the first two episodes, but I was like, I started watching the first one and I'm like, yeah, this is kind of just like not quite right. 
But then once the animation sort of style really kicked in for me, I'm like, wait, no, this is probably the most exciting, invigorating animated thing I've seen in years. <laughs> yeah, I really liked it. I, I did that same thing where I kind of was watching it and I was like, oh, this is like watching all the boring bits in a computer game that you don't get to play. <laughs> and then uh, yeah. I've, I've only it only took me about halfway through the first one and I just kind of like sunk back and I was like, oh, I'm glad I don't have to play this game because I am quite happy just watching these scenes. Uh, I think... Um, the, the action's fantastic. Like it's really, really well paced and the sort of the camera style for all that kind of stuff. It's like, it's not hyper-realistic like a lot of these things are getting, um, which I, which I found really refreshing too. Like it kind of has that classic style. Uh, I don't know what era it's, it's really, uh, aping, but it really, uh, it didn't like, didn't look like it was trying to look super modern, which I really liked about it, but it did have a great sense of movement about the camera and, the way that uh, characters were moving and stuff, I thought was really made the action scenes really awesome. I'm, I'm someone that tends to tune out of that stuff. If it's all just like, you know, people shooting each other and stuff, I get pretty bored pretty quick, but I didn't at all. Yeah. I was, I was, I found it really compelling. No, that's exactly it. Like the action was actually really absorbing mm. like, fun action to watch. And that's kind of what really drew me into it. So I had a sort of a few thoughts when I was watching it. First of all, from the animation style, I was really quite taken with the fact that, and because all of my knowledge of Ghost in the Shell comes from watching the feature, live action feature film. So I don't really know the animated show and I don't know the settings that well. But I suspect with this that they've actually started it quite deliberately by not being sort of like a dark and gritty sort of neo-noir mm. show by any means. But really it's set in, where is it? It's in the US. It's like a beachside. Yeah. Was it Miami? I think um, it was. Maybe it's Miami. I can't remember exactly where it was, mm. uh, but, but it like opens up and like, essentially you're out in the desert. Like it's very sort of bright and sunny. And like, that was shocking to me because I thought this is going to be something where, you know, people are wearing trench coats and getting around and, you know, pulling out big machine guns and, you know, just that kind of matrixy sort of uh, yes. thing going on. But that isn't really what's going on at all. Like it's just this really bright, well-lit like action set sequence taking place. And the actual like sequence is a little bit like from the second Matrix film where they're out on a highway. And if you think about that, but it's maybe just a better executed version of that. Yeah. Um, I also really felt, I felt like the characters are really good, you know, like at first it was just kind of like, oh yeah, here's another crew of misfits that are getting out there, but it <laughs> yeah. didn't, it really doesn't take too long for them to, um, it doesn't take Some long at personalities all. No, not at all. Yeah. I think I watched three episodes. I might've even watched four by the end of it. And I was, um, I would have just sat down and just kept letting them wash over me if I hadn't have, if I hadn't have, um, had other, you know, had to get to bed to live my life. But the, uh, yes, yeah, so apparently there's going to be two seasons. Yeah. So they've greenlit two seasons. Now the show is called, uh, Ghost in the Shell Sack 2045. And I had no idea what sack meant. And I think that maybe it's a bit much to ask a general audience to really understand exactly what that is. And that's SAC. Anyway, apparently what it is, it stands for a standalone complex which was yeah. an animated version of Ghost in a Shell. And so this takes place in the standalone complex, like continuity. And, you know, I don't even really know what that means. Not that I really care what that means. <laughs> no, and I didn't feel like, and I didn't feel like not having a thorough understanding of the backstory or anything was detrimental whatsoever. Like it was pretty easy to just to get like sucked straight into it and uh, yeah, appreciate absolutely. where it was heading. Yeah. Anyway, what's the other thing that really kind of caught me about it was I've been doing a lot of reading about the work that's happening in TV productions right now to get back to work. Yeah. And so a lot of this is going to involve uh, lots of actors standing on sets who aren't necessarily next to each other. There's going to be lots of trick camera movements taking place, but it does mean that there's not going to be sort of any sort of like romantic or sex scenes taking place on TV for the foreseeable future. And it probably means that there's going to be a lot of action sequences which aren't happening. So you're not going to see much Kung Fu happening mm. on screen anytime soon. But I was watching this Ghost in a Shell cartoon, which is this very big budget animated TV series. And I was like, well, why do we really even need to see humans in TV shows anymore? <laughs> yeah. Like this kind of just felt so kinetic and absorbing that unless you're actually doing like a straight drama, so like the Eddie would not be a show that would work particularly well if it was animated sure. with the jazz thumbs. But also maybe it would. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, How are you going to go? I don't know. <laughs> Well, you know, let's see. But yeah, I mean, we don't necessarily even need it to be, you know, people on screen anymore. Like, yeah, oh, totally. And I'm really enjoying that. That's, I think I was trying to get to that at the start is that I was, I'm just enjoying that. It, I really did enjoy watching that love, sex and sex, death and robots or whatever it was. Yeah. And, had, and especially that had some hyper real animation that was, you know, like way 
beyond, it was even beyond Uncanny Valley kind of stuff. It was like very believable. Um, but I, but I definitely enjoy as well seeing the technology just um, show itself in the, in the way of sort, of sort of camera fluidity and the movement of the characters and doing different stylized things rather than just chasing reality, you know. I think that's, I, I'm finding that a lot more interesting. Well, the other thing as well is that you think about, say, like your average Marvel movie. If you've got a sequence that isn't characters standing around in a room talking, but really there's some sort of action element involved, it's all being shot on green screens. Yeah. Like the entire element's like an, a digital element, yeah. effectively. Like, really, there is no difference at all to watching, like, Robert Downey Jr. in a, you know, costume get-up flying after somebody while, you know, dropping sort of witty, like, you know, witty lines here and there. Like, that's actually no different at all than seeing a fully animated thing. Like, sure, you don't have a human in the role, but, like, one would argue that Robert Downey Jr. isn't necessarily human in that sort of position anyway, because no. he's really operating in an entirely fake environment and he's not really relating or engaging with a real environment around him. So like really what's the difference? There yeah. isn't one. <laughs> there isn't one. I totally agree. I look forward to the end of actors in movies <laughs> and, and all real life people being involved in this stuff. Oh, well, that's not fair because you actually do need actors to provide the voice I and know. if there's like a motion capture element. But maybe this is that first step where we can get to the world where, you know, we can replace the actors physically first and then we can have algorithms which will replace their voice eventually. Excellent. And wouldn't that be an exciting place to get to? <laughs> I think we're not far about that. There's already like, I think, pretty good synthesis voice stuff happening where you can kind of replicate somebody's voice. Uh, it's the writers, you know, uh, we'll always need the writers, Dan, when they're coming up with such amazing stuff that they all come up with the writers. Um, no, Chris, no algorithm will ever replace them. There's two things an algorithm can't replace one strong quality writing. The other one, strong, engaging TV based quizzes. Oh, I was hoping this is where you're going to Dan. I've been waiting for this all day. Did you almost call me Dave? I did almost call you Dave, I think. Is because um, I'm the little dicky of podcasting? It is. Uh, the guy you, no one's heard of before. When you get a million views of your um, always be watching podcast, uh, then you'll oh, be man. a little dicky. Um, okay, well, it's going to be a couple of years off. Um, but oh, who knows? The, but yes, the quiz is important. Uh, I actually wrote this quiz yesterday because I thought we were going to record last night. So I've been waiting two days to get these questions to you. I've ran them by my partner. She got zero out of 10. And Excellent. then I, Challenge I, ran, accepted. <laughs> I ran them by a friend of mine who did a little better. And I think him and you have a better, uh, a better, uh, we'll, 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 let's see. Let's see. Okay. Um, let me know if you're ready to go and I'll, and I'll do it. I feel like we need so to. So we should actually, we should we actually get... introduce this properly. Sure. This is part of an ongoing series of quizzes that myself and Chris are dropping at the end of every episode. Basically the idea is that we're going to do a uh, hundred questions all up, 50 questions each. We're alternating weeks. And basically we just choose a, um, a topic. So like the quiz, we don't know what the quiz is walking into it. Mm. I have no idea what this quiz is right now, but I know it's going to be TV based and it's about something. Uh, previously we've looked at theme songs. We've looked at the work of Seth Green for some reason. Uh, we've <laughs> done all good. sorts of just, yeah. Uh, TV dogs. We did one week. Yep. So yeah, I don't know what this quiz is. Quiz, quiz, <laughs> quiz. <laughs> yes, Dave. Chris Yates, let's get quizzical. What's going on? Okay. We're going to talk about deaths on television. Holy moly. Okay. Strap yourself I really in. I hope this includes TV's greatest death and we'll talk about that if you don't include it shortly. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah. All right. These questions are of varying quality and difficulty level. We'll see how we go. I'm going to start with a very easy one. Dan, at what sporting event did Maud Flanders die on the Simpsons? Oh God. I know that she was killed by a t-shirt gun. That would have been too easy. Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, just presumably it was a baseball game. It was Speedway. Speedway. I'm sorry. Zero. Zero points. RIP. The original, but I would have accepted NASCAR or similar answers, just so you know. But baseball, that's too far. That's a. No, it's not. (laughs) It's not motorized sport. I wouldn't feel comfortable getting that point. The original bartender on Cheers who passed away at Mm. the end of season. Oh, I've written X's there. I was meant to research what season. Um, uh, season passed away. four. Four. That sounds right. Is it three? Yeah, maybe, maybe it's three, three seasons. Think, and Woody yeah. comes in on four. Yeah, it must be. Yeah. Uh, the original bartender on Cheers, who passed away at the end of season three, was nicknamed Coach. What was Coach's real name? Ernie. Ah. Uh, 
Oh, I can say it's Ernie. Ernie. All oh, right. I'm going to give you half. It's Ernie Pentuso. I had it as yeah, a pen. pen. I knew it was Italian, but I couldn't yeah. get past that. Uh, you get a half for that. I'm making a note. Uh, here's an interesting tidbit for you that I figured out when I was Googling that. The coach in The New Girl is also called Ernie, but they just call him Coach. Oh, really? Yeah. That is a fantastic joke. Yeah. I reckon that's got to be, you, you wouldn't do that by accident, would you? No, that is fully intentional. Okay. This one is, this is my, my finest work in all I've done. I've got two beautiful children. Fantastic. But this question I've written, this is the thing I'm proud of. When Susan Ross died in Seinfeld, her parents were inspired to start a foundation after a conversation with Jerry, where he mentioned an anecdote about Susan and which film. <laughs> 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 oh no i've no idea I'm, this is a zero round there's a, another uh the, i'll give you the, the the only hint that i can give you which will make you laugh when you get it is there is a there are many references to this in the episode as it goes on uh to this film and i'd f- completely forgotten about its significance to the uh the susan ross foundation Oh, look, I mean, I just want to feel that it's like Rochelle, Rochelle, the motion picture, but it's certainly <laughs> no, it's not. Real, it's going to be a real life thing. It's a real world uh, Look, I'm going to say it's like one floor of the cuckoo's nest. I know it's going to be like some sort of 70s. It was, um, it was Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. <laughs> You're right, it was. What were you saying to the Rosses over there anyway? Oh, man, I don't know. I, I told them her death takes place in the shadow of new life. She's not really dead if we find a way to remember her. What is that? Star Trek Two, Wrath of Khan. Hey, Kramer and I saw it last night. Spock dies. They wrap him up in a towel and they shoot him out the bowels of the ship in that big sunglasses case. It's a hell of a thing when Spock died. Yeah. Have you ever seen this YouTube video where they've slowed down Shatner doing the Khan? No, uh, oh gosh. It goes over like about ten hours. That's just, fantastic. Yeah, it's incredible. Uh, okay, so you're on. You're three questions down. You're on half. Um, half a point. Half a point. Who shot Jr? Uh, it's like her name's like Mary Joe. Well, no, <laughs> I think so. I think it was Kristen, <laughs> Kristen Shepard played by Mary Crosby, apparently. Mary Crosby. That's what I'm, yeah, okay. Sorry, Keep Dan. on going. Um, Man, this is a rough one. In the show, The Wire, was Omar killed by a police officer or a gangbanger? Oh, God. Here's the thing with The Wire. I've seen it all, but I was watching it all at five o'clock in the morning about <laughs> 10 years ago now. You remember oh, Omar, right? Amazing scene with Omar. Yeah. And um, it was it was sort of like, it was a very, it was anticlimactic the way he was removed. I, I'm going to say he was killed by a cop, but that's me just flipping a coin. Yeah, you flipped no. it wrong. It was a gangbanger. <laughs> this is a rough <laughs> night. Uh, I thought you would do better than this, to be honest. Anyway, in The Sopranos. So, so did my parents. They sent me to university <laughs> for nothing. Um, in The Sopranos, Adriana was whacked by which character and why? Half point for each. Okay, I'm pretty sure it was Silvio that took her out. Mm-hmm. And it was because she had turned informant to, I want to say it was the FBI. I've got Silvio and squeal into the feds. So Excellent. We'll, yeah, we'll give you full marks there. I wouldn't have got that, by the way. Really? That's disappointing. This is maybe my next favorite uh, question I've ever written. In the flash forward in the fi- <laughs> let's start again. Yeah. In the in the flash forward in the final scene of Veep, news of Selena Meyer's death is usurped by that of a famous Hollywood actor. Who is that actor? Oh. Oh gosh. It's somebody great as well. Yeah. It's somebody great, but it's someone who's not like particularly amazing. Like it's not like a Denzel Washington or something. You've nailed it. No, it's somebody great, but not particularly amazing. Yeah. Um, Oh God, I do know this. And really basically everyone involved in this deserve better than me not remembering. (laughs) Okay. I'm going to have to pass. It was Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks. Actually, no, Tom Um, Hanks is great. How dare. No. I retract everything I've said here. It was really interesting. I found an article about it where it referenced that um, in the in the pilot or the first episode of Veep, there's a joke that um, hopefully or it, the, the joke is presented something along the lines of like, you know, a scene that she'll be doing will make it to the TV news as long as Tom Hanks doesn't die. 
And um, that was sort of put in there as a thing of like, you know, that's when you're going to lose your news thing. And then, so then they did the reference back at the end. And um, in Veep universe, Tom Hanks dies at the age of 88 after four Oscar wins um, for Philadelphia 2. <laughs> <laughs> I genuinely love Tom Hanks. I I know. Me too. We all do. Of course we do. But, you know, it's not amazing. Um, No, he is. Okay, he is amazing. I won't hear a word against him. (laughs) Which of the following ways did South Park's Kenny not get killed? Crushed by chunks of lava. Mm. B, devoured by an evil goldfish. C, sleepwalking through a minefield. Or D, having his heart replaced by a potato. I'm sure I've seen the lava. I'm going to say C. Correct. Yes. That's how Bill Oddie dies in the credits of the goodies. <laughs> well, he doesn't die really, but he sleepwalks through a minefield. Um, how did Henry Blake die on TV's MASH? I believe that his helicopter was shot down. It was a plane, but I'll give you that. I'll give plane. you that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you can take that. I'll take, take that the point, point. grudgingly. <laughs> that was interesting too, because there's a um, big, uh, there's an urban myth around that, that none of the crew knew about it, which is actually why I put the question in. And then I was like, Oh, because I was, I wanted to talk about this tidbit where the, um, and that's what I've heard as well, but is that, yeah, not true? but apparently it's not, there was a Snopes. It was debunked on the Snopes article saying that, no, they had, they were aware of it, but there was a, um, I think the story got out there because, it was still sort of like nobody expected it when they got the script. So they all kind of had this big bombshell moment where they were like, oh, well, we didn't think that was going to happen. Um, but apparently, no, they did know before the shooting started. They were all also offered to have feedback on how they, you know, whether they thought that was the right thing to do because that was the first, and I don't know if this is, you'd have to fact check this, but the article I was reading said it was the first time a character in a half hour um, sitcom basically had been killed off. Uh, excuse me, what about my mother, the car? <laughs> Dan, you'll never, you're never ever going to forget about my mother, the car. It's like you the TV highlight. All right, this is the last question. That, that's my personal Vietnam. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, you're not going to get this one. Um, in Neighbours in September of 1990, Harold Bishop's daughter, Kerry, was tragically killed under what circumstances? And I'll give you the chance to get an extra point if you know the extra tragic nature of her death. Okay, well, she was killed by uh, shooters because she was out protesting a uh, series oh of ducks God. that were being killed. Uh, sorry, what was the bonus point for? For the extra tragic nature of her death. Extra tragic nature. Uh, I'm presuming that it's because she was pregnant to Joe's child. Oh, my God. Well, pregnant with Joe's child, not pregnant to the child. That'd be quite a, <laughs> that'd be quite a shift for neighbours. <laughs> uh, you're 100% correct. The, the one question I thought that you wouldn't get, you absolutely nailed. <sighs> you, was that peak? That was definitely peak neighbours time for me, the yeah, early was, 90s. Yeah, that was definitely a time period I was heavily watching neighbours. Yeah. I think I watched neighbours pretty much for my entire life leading up to 1996. And I, can actually, I can actually pinpoint when it was that I stopped watching Neighbours, which is the exact same day that my parents got Foxhole. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I had something else <laughs> to really watch. Funny. Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, I, I don't know who's keeping tally on this. It's definitely not me. But you have, for tonight's uh, spectacular effort, you have managed to get two, three, four, five and a half. Holy crap. That's about four that and a half more than I thought. Yeah, you did a nice comeback at the end there, and I'm glad I gave you the extra bonus point for um, <laughs> challenge because that's made it all very respectable again. It's the only quiz where I want you to win as much as I want me to win. <laughs> yeah, no, I feel the same way. And usually I'm not really that bothered about your circumstance. So <laughs> trying to hit the balance between it being something you'll definitely know and something you haven't got a clue about and something mildly amusing is proving quite difficult, but I'm very much enjoying it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. No, this has been a good quiz. All right. Five and a half for you. Thanks, Dan. I look forward to hearing. I I think you're still ahead in the broader scheme of things by a couple of points. Yeah, I might be. So that's up to you whether you think that. um, Well, next week I'm just going to have to destroy you with whatever quiz I come (laughs) up with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good times. Chris, I think this is the end of the podcast.
We're done. Uh, it is. It is. Uh, thanks for having me again. I always say to you, Dad, even though um, we do it together. But I do. But yeah. it, but I wouldn't be doing it if it wasn't for you, of course. So that's why I say thank you. Okay, so Chris, it is the end of the show, which means that we are going to do like I haven't told you about this, but we're going to end the podcast every week now with a musical number. Excellent. Take it away. <laughs> There's no business like show business. I just I'll get my piano next time. Give me a bit more warning. Done. Okay. Well, next week, Chris, it's been a pleasure. If people want to absorb more, always be watching their diets and doctors recommend that they do uh, check out alwaysbewatching.com. Uh, people can find a newsletter there. It'll arrive in your inbox. You don't even have to go to that.com like on a daily basis. You'll just get stuff directly to your Gmail or your Yahoo mail or your Ask Jeeves mail, whatever. It's a know. great system. Yeah. Email. It's popular. Kids like it. It is. It yeah. Is. Uh, so you can do that. You can hit us up on social media. We're on the Twitters, on the Facebooks, you know, we're everywhere you want us. Chris Yates, I can be found on the streets, but I can also be found on social media at the Dan Barrett's. You are just generally sort of walking the streets, um, helping people when they need it. If people want to get in touch with me, I say, talk to my people. And by that, I mean you. If people want to get in contact with Chris, don't. Chris will get in contact with you. (laughs) That's how it goes. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. Be the tough man that we all know you are. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, it has been an absolute pleasure. I'm looking forward to making soup, not war. I say that only because it's on a poster behind your shoulder there that I'm looking at. Uh, enjoy that. It's good soup. I'll make you some soup one day. Yeah, you should. Yeah. You'll enjoy as long, it. As long as that's not a metaphor for something, I'm down for it. <laughs> and if it is, maybe. Okay. See you next week, Dad. Dad.